0: Welcome to the Uncovered Podcast, where we take a deeper look into the ideas, companies, and entrepreneurs that are creating the future and uncover the stories you haven't heard. Uncovered is presented by PJC, an early-stage venture capital firm committed to supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs.
1: We're back with Season 3 of the Uncovered Podcast, where we're exploring the entrepreneurial side of VC. I'm here with my co-host, Rob May. Hi, everyone. And today we have Lee Hauer of NextView Ventures on the podcast. <clears throat> How are you doing today, Lee? I'm great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We're we're excited to learn a little bit more about your background in NextView and, you know, you know, have you share some of your learnings over the last almost decade. So why don't you, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? It would be great to dive into that, you know, before we get into the meat of it. Sure. So, um,
2: you know, on the professional journey, I... Um, I studied both engineering and business in college, and I was coming out of school in in the end of the '90s when the sort of Web 1.0 boom was happening, and and you know one of the more more recent big tech waves. And I was pretty interested in trying to find a job in a startup in Silicon Valley, and I went to college on the East Coast, and uh, most of the on-campus recruiting stuff was for for big companies. Uh, but not not as much for, for startups. So I had to kind of chart my own way to, to find my way to, to startups. Long story short, I was pretty fortunate to meet uh, Elon Musk when I was an undergraduate. And my first job right out of college was um, as an early employee at PayPal. There were originally two, two halves to PayPal, as many people know. There's one half that Elon uh, Musk started called x.com. That's the half that I joined initially. The other half was called Confinity, and that's the, the half that Peter Thiel and Max Lubchin started. And the two companies ended up merging together as a, a 50-50 merger in the spring of 2020. Excuse me. Spring of 2000. Um, and, uh, so it's great. You know, I was able to start my career with the the, the path that I was hoping for, which was to, to move out to Silicon Valley and to join a startup. And, um, it was an exciting time in Silicon Valley, sort of the end of the, the you know dot com wave, but then also you know the the downturn. We saw lots of things in terms of how businesses got built. And it was my first job out of college, so I was an entry level product manager to start. Um, and uh, you know I was there in, in, as a PM for for a while, and then eventually moved into a biz dev role. And then was there at, at PayPal through the original PayPal IPO in, in 2002, and sold eBay later that year. And then after PayPal, I left with my boss. Reed Hoffman, and was one of the co-founders of LinkedIn. At LinkedIn, in the early years, I wore a bunch of different hats. I ran the analytics team for a while. I managed essentially the, the biz ops functions. I did VC fundraising with Reed for, for some more early rounds of capital. Um, and I uh, have lots of stories from the, the early days of LinkedIn and, and what we learned and what we built there. Uh, we started the company sort of end of 02 and, and launched the like, site publicly in, in the early part of 2003. But after a few years, I ended up um deciding to make a personal move from California back to the East Coast, where my wife and I have family ties. And this is a little over a thousand years ago at this point. And um, at that point, I ended up uh, getting into the venture world. In fact, I I worked with uh, some of your colleagues there at PJC. Initially, it was my first entree into the venture world. But then I ended up starting my own firm with two other partners, the next few ventures, just over a decade ago. It's basically the the tail end of 2010, beginning of 2011, when we started NextView. So that's a long-winded uh, story, but it gives you some of the the, the journey that I've had uh, in, in my professional life.
1: That, that's awesome, Lee, Can can you tell us a little bit about you know what it was like starting Fund One?
2: Yeah. So so you have to kind of wind your clock mentally a little bit, uh, a little over a decade. So nowadays, obviously, seed investing is pretty pretty well understood, and there's hundreds of different groups that are active as seed investors, but when we started NextView, myself and, and the two other co-founders, Rob Go and, and David Beisel, sort of in the mid to latter part of 2010, there were relatively few seed-focused VC firms across the country. There was a handful uh, folks like First Round Capital and a few others that had started uh, a few years before, both on the West Coast and on the East Coast. But in total, there was probably maybe a dozen or so seed funds that, that had been established at that point in time. And so for us, we were not only starting a new firm and raising fund one for next few ventures, but we were also, you know, kind of articulating a strategy which was new to, you know, a lot of the folks in the venture ecosystem and, and LPs in particular. And um, you know, we were fortunate. We raised our first fund, which was a 2011 vintage venture fund. And we, we were able to attract a couple large institutional LP investors as well as some some individuals as, as part of our first fund. and. Um, but, but, you know, it wasn't easy, certainly. You know, both raising a first-time fund is is never easy. And, and certainly, you know, the seed VC strategy is now one where LPs are, are a lot more aware of and many are, are actively investing in. But at the time, that, that wasn't the case back in, you know, late 2010, early 2011.
1: Lee, you said something interesting there where you were essentially going out there and, and you were educating the market on something new and, and inventive at the time that, you know, wasn't very well known, which is not dissimilar to what a founder is doing when he or she is raising capital from investors. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, after 10 years of sitting on boards and having built companies before, can you tell us a little bit about the parallels of being an entrepreneur and, and running a startup and, and what you were doing when you were raising fund one? Because it seems like there, there are some compliments there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely some things that are similar um, and there's some things that are different. So, so, to compare and contrast, you know, for raising money from an early stage startup or for a new venture strategy or emerging venture strategy, um, I like to say, in both cases here, it's not about convincing the skeptics. It's about finding the true believers. And so, you know, just as if you're starting a, a startup and you're raising your first round or two of capital, um, you know, the, the point to, or, you know, you shouldn't spend your time trying to convince people who are unconvinced about you guys as a team or your product or your market. You should really spend your time trying to find people who believe in the market, believe in the team and believe in your, your technology. And the same thing is true for not just a first time venture fund in general, but certainly one that's that's you know, to your point, evangelizing a, a newer strategy in the, in the venture ecosystem. Um, you know, I think the other thing is, you know, a bet on an early stage company by a VC investor, um, you know, you're, you're largely betting on a team in a market. That is also true for a bet on a new you know, first-time fund working on a new strategy. The LP is essentially saying, I, I think this team has good judgment and good good investing acumen and the ability to source, select, and win, you know, the opportunity to invest in great transformative companies, and they're essentially you know betting on that team and then also betting on that market, whether that's you know seed investing or a particular sector or or what have you. I think the things that where where they diverge or where they're a little bit different, um, you know, when you're raising money as a as a startup founder, and I, I was fortunate to be part of that process. You know, when we we're raising the early rounds of LinkedIn. You can pitch a whole bunch of, of VC firms and. And, you know, really you need to get one yes as your lead investor. And that, that often ends up being, you know, a majority of your, your early round. Um, and you might fill it in with other, other folks who are following on or, you know, angel investors or what have you, but you sort of have to, you know, the game is to get to one big yes. And raising a venture fund, you know, it's, it's unusual that any one LP will make up a significant part of the fund. You know, usually, you know, some of the largest LPs might only be perhaps ten percent of the fund, or twenty or, percent or of the fund at most. And so, you need a whole bunch of yeses to you know raise the capital that that you're trying to to invest as a first time venture fund.
1: That makes a ton of sense. What was it like to get that first commitment? Can you tell us a little bit about that? It must have been a very exciting day.
2: Yeah, it was. You know, relatively early on in our our uh, fundraising process, and it was from a uh, essentially a. A family office group, so um, you know, a, a family that has uh, substantial assets that invest on, on their own behalf, and the the principal, the, the person who sort of created the the, the wealth, and w- was someone from the investing world that had a ton of track record and experience, and so we were fortunate to get that first yet relatively early in the process, and and uh, you know, at one level, it was a validation of okay, you know, the the strategy and team that we're, we're articulating to folks is resonating. Um, and it was also, you know, personally gratifying for, for Rob and Dave and myself. You know, the flip side was it was a, a modest commitment, but still only, you know, a relatively small percentage of the capital we were going to raise for our, our first fund. So it was great to get the first yes, but then, you know, shortly after we realized that we needed to get a whole bunch more yeses to, to, to fill the bucket.
1: Uh, yeah, the the fund continues. Indeed. Indeed.
0: Yeah. So Lee, I'm curious, um, how your experience working in tech startups has influenced how you think about venture because people come to venture from lots of different paths. Some are entrepreneurs. Some come from finance and investment banking. You know, some come like right out of MBA school. Some are like senior executives, et cetera. Uh, but you, you have a really unusual set of experiences in that not only did you like work at two startups, but you worked at two really fantastic startups and, and they were startups that were risky. I remember, um, Josh Koppelman was an investor in my first company. And at a dinner with a bunch of entrepreneurs one night, he told the story, you know, he was, um, he was an angel investor in PayPal, I think. And I think he said when PayPal went public, it had lawsuits against the the company in 48 states or something like that. And he kind of pointed out like, hey, it's it's not that, you know, Western Union or, you know, JP Morgan didn't have these same ideas. It's that, you know, they, they couldn't tolerate 48 lawsuits. So like, Talk a little bit about how that experience shaped how you think about venture and if you, if you feel like it gives you an advantage or not.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I do think that um, you know, successful and venture investors can come from a whole range of different backgrounds, as you highlighted. And there's lots of examples you can point to of people who have operating startup operating or entrepreneurial experience, people who have you know, operating experience in, in, in large tech companies, people who, who come from investment backgrounds or finance backgrounds, you know, Mike Moritz is one of the greatest venture investors of all time. He was a journalist before. But, you know, I do think having that experience building companies and, and being in operating roles and, and all of us at NextView, all four, four partners at NextView have that. I, I do think it, it helps us from the standpoint of, you know, empathy with, with startup founders and credibility with start, startup founders, especially given that we practice a, you know, we call it a high conviction, hands-on investor model. We're typically on the board of these companies, especially in the early years of life. And um, we're usually a lead investor at the seed stage and, and pretty hands-on. So for the way that we practice venture capital, I think, you know, having that kind of operating experience certainly certainly helps. In terms of the, like, being through, um, you know, uh, companies that that were entrepreneurial or companies that, that were willing to take risks and, and be innovative, certainly, obviously, we look for that in in the companies that we invest in as VCs and and the founders that we looked at back. I think probably the most helpful thing from my time at, at PayPal and LinkedIn, in terms of applying that in my, my venture career over the last decade and change, it's really been around people identification. You know, I I like to, you know, people come up with all kinds of sports analogies as to what, what is early stage VC investing like? And um, the best one that I've settled on is it's kind of like in baseball, the, 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 Base running coach that you have, you know, who's standing at third base. You know, part of part of what we do, and 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 it's also a hybrid t- talent scout as well. Those are the two kind of two two hybrids that we stuck them together. The talent scouting part of it is, you know, identifying really exceptional people who sometimes have ideas that seem unusual at the very early stage. And I was around a bunch of people with who were both both exceptional and had unusual ideas at at PayPal and LinkedIn, and so. You know, hopefully, I think that's helped me spot that as a as the talent count half of it as a venture investor. The third base coach piece of it is, you know, we're there to be um, provide a perspective and input to the founders who are the ones who are actually building and running the companies. And um, sometimes they listen to our advice, sometimes they 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 don't. But you know, hopefully, the third base coach can see the whole field and see what's happening and and offer that perspective to to round third base and head for home or or not. Um, and the, and the base runner may, may take that advice or may not. They, they have plenty of experience themselves and, and their own perspectives. But, you know, that's that's sort of the, the second function that we play.
0: That's super interesting. And, and you know, every, everybody, I think, who's an entrepreneur kind of thinks about going into investing in venture capital someday. What do you think are the, what was the most surprising thing to you about getting in and starting a venture fund? Like maybe the thing that you didn't expect or the thing that didn't turn out you thought it was going to be. Yeah. I mean, for one, I think until you're actually, you know, in the seat
2: as a venture investor, whether you start your own firm or you join an existing firm, it's hard to comprehend the sheer volume of starts that exist out there. Um, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur or founder, um, you know, or startup operator, you know, obviously there's there's hundreds and thousands of startups out there. But, you know, as a venture investor, you really get exposed to just a volume of opportunities, which is just far greater than you um, you know ever ever gets to see as a as a startup operator. So, I think for me, an eye opening thing was just you know how many how many startups are out there, and obviously there's some that are that are great and exceptional, and some that maybe are, are not as great. But there's a lot of really good companies out there, and just seeing the volume of, of founders and innovators out there was, was like I said a bit eye opening for me. Um, I think the other thing that's different is um, you know as a, as an entrepreneur or startup founder, oftentimes One of your first instincts is early in your venture career is to interpolate, you know, well, if if I was involved in in helping build this company, how would I approach X, Y, or Z? But as a venture investor, you're not doing that. You're providing advice and and feedback and input and trying to be a sounding board, you know, to the founders. But, you know, fundamentally you're, you're, you're an investor. And so thinking about the building pieces of things is not really the, the way to go about being a successful investor. And so sometimes you have to people who come from a building experience have to flip their flip the switch a little bit in the head in terms of thinking about not well how would i go about this or how how would i think about this but rather is this a team i want to bet on based on how they're going about it and how they how they're likely to build this company
1: that's awesome like can you tell us about some of the companies you've had the opportunity to invest in over the years you know all of our listeners just love to get some context and, and learn a little about some of the logos that the folks that we have in the podcast have invested in over the years.
2: Yeah, um, you know, we're always happy to talk about the, the the founders we've been able to partner with and the companies we've backed. And at NextView, we've we've invested in over a hundred companies at the seed stage over the last ten years, and you know, we're proud to have partnered with with every one of them. Um, you know, but a, a couple that have been really a special part of the journey. For me personally, um, you know, we were one of the seed investors in a company called Whoop, which is in the digital health space. And this is a company we made a seed investment in, I think seven or eight years ago at this point. And, um, the company's really grown to become the leader in pr- personal recovery and, and fitness. Um, they have a combination of both software and hardware. And they're one of the first and really only companies in the wearable technology space that, that successfully built a, a subscription business model more like a Netflix or a Peloton rather than a, you know, one-time purchase model, like an Apple watch. Um, and the business has been amazing. They they started working with professional athletes early on in their, the journey as a as business. And then really it's expanded as a consumer business over time. Um, and, uh, you know, the company has, has, has become a, an iconic company for for a lot of its uh, many, many users. Um, another company that's been really exciting to work with, not just because I, Really enjoy working with the founders, but also to see the the what the business has become and the potential impact it has really on the on the world. It's a company called Grove Collaborative. This is a company which is essentially the, the leader in natural and sustainable CPG products. It started off really as a an e-commerce, direct-to-consumer e-commerce model, but it's really now evolved into An omni-channel product company. They sell both online at their website as well as through retailers like Target. You can buy the products nationwide in any any Target in America. And they're they're basically rethinking. If if you were to think about P and G and Unilever and the and the the CPG companies that that started 100 plus years ago, if you were to rethink about CPG in the 21st century, you'd think about a you know natural and sustainable products. So, in the case of Grow, for example, you know they have. They're eliminating basically plastic from all of their packaging. So things are packaged in in you know cardboard and recycled paper. Things like household cleaners. Instead of buying them in a, a plastic bottle that you would you know throw away or recycle each time, you you buy a reusable you know glass or plastic excuse me glass or ceramic uh, dispenser with you know refills. And so it's been exciting to see that company grow to be a really, really substantial business, you know, doing, doing many hundreds of millions in in revenue, but more importantly, having a meaningful impact on, you know, consumers preferences around sustainability with, with the CPG purchases in their home.
1: That's awesome. Thanks for sharing Lee. And and we'd love to just end on learning a bit about kind of the, the largest challenge in your opinion that you've faced over the last 10 years running a venture fund.
2: Yeah. You know, there's always ups and downs of, of you know, running a venture fund. And, and, I've been, you know, pleased to be able to, to run next few along with my partners. And, you know, the ups and downs can include the, you know, the, the ups and downs of the underlying portfolio companies that you invest in, you know, the, the ups and downs of, of raising capital for, for new funds and what have you. I think for us, one of the things that has been both, you know, challenging and exciting, frankly, is how much the venture ecosystem has been evolving in the last 10 years um, you know i think in the last 10 years you've seen everything from you know the rise of cbcs like like next few that we were part of that wave but you've seen solo capitalists you've seen you know historically late stage or crossover type investors become more active in the ecosystem you've seen new models like y, y combinator really grow and emerge and so even Even though the venture business itself is not terribly innovative, there has been actually a lot of change, um, and evolution just in the last 10 years on a relative basis relative to the last 50 plus years of of venture. And so for us, that sometimes creates challenges in terms of, you know, how the the part of the venture ecosystem that we focus on, the seed stage, you know, increased competition and different dynamics and, and what have you. So, it, but, but for us, we think of that also as an exciting opportunity. It's 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 kept us on our toes. It's helped us think about how we wanted to evolve as a firm, um and and what our competitive edges are. So, you know, it's one of those challenges and opportunities rolled up in one. Which you know you, we we wake up every day and think about how how we can be the best partner to the founders that we want to work with, and and how we want to continue to build and evolve as a firm.
0: Awesome, that was great, Lee. So. I, you know, we just want to wrap up and sort of thank you for being on the podcast. I think this has been very educational. I think everybody's going to really enjoy it. For those of you that are listening, please check out the rest of season number three. And if you have questions or ideas for the podcast, if you have guests you'd like us to have on, you can send those to podcast at pjc.vc. And we hope you'll, you'll check out the rest of our, of our podcast history, season one and season two as well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to The Uncovered Podcast. To learn more about PJC and The Uncovered Podcast, visit us at www.pjc.vc or email us at podcasts at pjc.vc.